gathered together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero, Superman. Superman. The Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, Golden Age Superman, The Superman Fan Podcast, Superman in the Bronze Age, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, Superman Forever Radio, The Superman Vidcast, The World's Best Podcast, The SFR Daily Planet, and Radio KL from supermanhomepage.com, as well as the audio dramas Superman, Last Son of Krypton, and Supergirl, Last Daughter of Krypton, from Pendant Audio Productions. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, J. David Weeder, Cayman Stoll, I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Eunice, and co-host Scotty V. At supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El grew to manhood on Earth, whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil all over Earth and beyond as Superman. Superman. And we're back. And hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 21 of Superman in the Bronze Age. I am your host, Charlie Niemeyer, and it has been quite a while since I've had a full episode, and I really want to apologize for that, but I am back, and hopefully better than ever. Uh, before we get into any comics, um, I want to cover some of the stuff that's been going on since my last episode, uh, well, my last full episode. First of all, I want to talk about the fact that the new Superman movie, Man of Steel, has been getting a lot of news lately. We've got some big casting news. I think before I went away that Henry Cavill had already been cast as Clark Kent and Superman, which is, I don't know. I haven't seen Henry Cavill in much, so and I'm thinking I don't want to, to kind of keep with the unknown factor, so we'll see what happens with that. Uh, Amy Adams has been cast as Lois Lane, which seems to be pretty good to me. I like I like her as an actress. Uh, Jonathan Kent's going to be by, played by Kevin Costner, which seems to fit. He looks like he could be a Jonathan Kent. Uh, Diane Lane's going to be Martha Kent, which should be interesting. Michael Shannon has been cast as General Zod. I'm not familiar with that actor. And then, of course, there's rumors that Russell Crowe is going to be Jor-El, and Julia Ormond is going to be uh, Lara which should be interesting, but it's really confusing because they were saying they wanted to go away from an origin, but then why do we have Krypton coming back? So, I don't... Uh, for the most part, I've liked everything they've said about this movie. It has me really excited for it. We'll just have to see how it plays out. But right now, I'm pretty excited about this new Superman movie. Um, another big thing that happened while it was gone, DC Comics is doing a... not a reboot... But a relaunch. August issues are canceling every uh, comic they're publishing in the main universe. They're not affecting Vertigo or 
the Johnny DC stuff with the uh, you know like um with the Batman Brave and the Bold adaptation comics and the Young Justice adaptation comics and Scooby and um all those other Cartoon Network books and Looney Tunes those aren't going away. What they're doing is they're taking all the superhero stuff basically and relaunching it in September with a new number one, basically because of the end of Flashpoint, which if you haven't been following. Uh, actually seems to be a completely different uh, reality that in which Barry Allen Flash is the only one that remembers how it's supposed to be. And we don't know how that's going to play out, but it, presumably that's going to lead to this new reboot, relaunch. Uh, every comic in DC Superhero Line is going to be starting over with a new number one. And I do mean every comic. Uh, from action comics down to, uh, not Satana because she's not in her own book, I don't think, but all the way through the line. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with this. Uh, because, And part of it, actually, I'm excited because the last time they did a line-wide, somewhat relaunch reboot thing was Crisis on Infinite Earths. When that happened, I was five, so I wasn't really reading comics at the time. So, well, actually, I was six because it was 86 by the time they actually rebooted stuff. But anyway, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Um, I'm looking forward to uh, getting on the ground floor. The only thing that annoys me um, is that they're not reboot, uh, restarting everything. Now, apparently from the solicitations and the information that has been given so far, this is just so far, um, it looks like Superman's starting over in some way. Uh, Wonder Woman's starting over. Green Arrow is being redone. Uh, Firestorm. Uh, most of the Justice League heroes, Aquaman, but for some reason, given all that, um, Batman is continuing from where they're leaving off, and Green Lantern seems to be continuing from where they're leaving off. Granted, those are probably uh, those books are probably some of DC's best-selling books right now, so I can understand them not wanting to mess with that. Uh, but it's one of those things where it's like you know if you're going to do this, go all the way, which is one of the complaints I had. Um, but I have had since then about what they did after uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths because Superman and Wonder Woman got full-on reboots. Uh, Batman got a New Year One and then jumped to the present and restarted Jason Todd's continuity. But other than that, we don't know. We didn't know much about the past of Batman. It's one of these things where, yeah, and and but oh, also back then, two other books didn't get restarted their best-selling books, Teen Titans and Legion. And those books didn't get restarted, which caused hiccups later on because uh, Dick Grayson couldn't be Robin and Batman, which is why they had to jump ahead to the Jason Todd stuff. Basically, I'm probably not direct on that. But, uh, and then uh, with the Superman stuff and Legion, they had to figure out how they could have a Superboy in the Legion if it wasn't starting over. You know? So... Now, this time, I forgot to mention that Legion, once again, is not going to join the reboot. It is getting a new number one, but they're not doing the whole reboot, restart over thing with them. Um, some of the big changes is that um, Dick Grayson's going back to being Nightwing after being Batman for a while. Um, and this time, Nightwing has is more, mostly, instead of blue, he's got red and a Apparently the eyes on his mask are red. I'm not sure what that's about. Um, 
Bruce Wayne's going to be the only Batman in the DCU, uh, and his son Damien is going to continue as Robin. Apparently, Tim Drake's going to be Robin over in Teen Titans with a, I'm going to call it interesting looking costume, because apparently, other than Superman and Batman and kind of Robin, uh, and Supergirl, I guess, no one's really supposed to have capes in the DCU. Uh, of course, no one's supposed to. Ha uh, no women are supposed to be wearing anything other than pants, and Supergirl's got a skirt. So we'll see how that works out for how long that works out for. But um, yeah, no one else is supposed to have capes. So for some reason, they gave Tim Drake wings. So he kind of looks like a Red Robin, Black Condor hybrid thing going on. I don't know what's going on there. Uh, and there are some weird stuff going on, like uh, Superboy in the Superboy comic. Looks very different from Superboy and Teen Titans, even though they're written by those two books are written by the same person. Uh, Superman in Action comics looks very different from the Superman that is going to be in Superman comics, um, which lends which lends uh, credence to a theory that I have. Um, I know Michael Bailey has also gone on record as having the same theory about. Um, Grant Morrison has this new uh, story that he's supposed to be been working on for ever since Final Crisis called Multiversity, which is supposed to help redefine or define whatever the 52 Earths in the DC multiverse, which is interesting because DC's relaunch is, contains 52 number one issues. See what I'm saying? And the fact that they're jumping around in history just seems a little weird, so I don't know what's going on. But multiverse, uh, it, it's plausible. I'm not completely sure. Uh, but I am looking forward to the Superman books. Um, in fact, I'm contemplating getting back into Superman books, uh, new issues anyway, for the first time since New Krypton started. Um, I'm really interested in seeing what Grant Morrison's going to do with, with Superman in a non- uh, all-star version of the character and I'm looking to see what George Perez is going to do with Superman in the Superman books because in the Superman book uh, because I just like George Perez and I like what he did on the sh his short run in the late 80s with the character so I'm looking forward to that too um, the only thing that gets me is um, there's a lot of people overreacting about this I have seen Facebook posts and comments written that somehow are, it's blaming DC Comics for ruining these characters. Now, we don't know anything about the character versions of these people yet. Um, Superman has a different costume. Yes, I understand that. But that does not ruin his character. Uh, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, back about 15 years ago at this point, it was announced that Superman was going to get new powers. It wasn't, his history wasn't changing this time, but he went from the Superman we all know to an electrical being wearing this blue and white costume. His face was blue, and he had a whole new set of powers. And I remember that DC, uh, well, they still had their letters pages back then. In fact, I think they're back. But anyway, DC had their letters pages back then, and they actually printed letters from people saying that this was messing, uh, destroying the character and all this stuff, blah, 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 and they weren't going to buy the book anymore. Okay. But if you read those stories, that's still the same Superman. His character doesn't change. His powers change. 
which was interesting. And while they first promoted it as a permanent change, it ended up only being about a year-long thing, um, which could be kind of what happens here. We don't know that. But I think people are overreacting about this. We don't know how his character is going to be different until we actually read the books. Basically, what I suggest is read the things, and if you don't like them, stop buying them. That's what I did with Superman, uh, unfortunately. Uh, I'm a huge Superman fan, but I didn't like the direction they were going with the new Krypton stuff. And then post-New Krypton, he wasn't in action comics for a year because he was walking across the country. I didn't buy any of that. I bought Secret Origin because that was Superman. I bought um, Superman Earth 1 because that was you know, Superman, basically. Uh, so I'm still supporting the character, but I'm not going to get the stuff I don't agree with. Just don't get it. That is, is what I'm saying. Just If you don't want to read it, don't get it. But I would wait to make any decisions about how the story is after these issue ones come out. See how it looks. The only problem, I, uh, the only thing I have uh, with the, uh, as far as costume changes, Harley looks a little slutty. But everyone else looks pretty much okay other than Superboy looking like a robot, which I'm going to read about that because you know what? I've read several Superman issues, including some that we'll be covering way, way down on the road on this show, in which it looked like Superman was a robot, and obviously he wasn't. So we'll have to see what goes on with that. Um, but that all brings me to the apparently planned protest at Comic-Con this year. Um, and again, you have to give it a chance. But the, uh, in the U.S. Constitution, we have the right to protest things. That's fine. I am not saying that it, that they should uh, they shouldn't be allowed to do a protest. But with all of the stuff happening in this world in this country right now, uh, between medical stuff and battles and terrorism and uh, government spending and the recession and Congress giving themselves raises in the middle of this recession and all this stuff. The fact that we're going to have people protesting that they shouldn't be changing some of these superheroes' costumes seems a little ridiculous to me. That's just me. Hope I'm not offending anyone, but I probably am. Okay. Also, as far as the Superman costume is concerned, the action one I'm a little confused about because it's pants and a t-shirt, which basically is what I could wear. Um, but it's supposed to be start. I'm, I'm thinking, hopefully, that maybe that's just some kind of representation thing. And if it's not, I'm sure there's going to be a reason for it. As far as his costume in Justice League and in Superman, I don't mind it. I think it looks pretty cool. And if you look at it, it's pretty uniform to the rest of the members of the Justice League costumes. Everyone, even Wonder Woman, who has to wear a collar of some kind, even though her shirt doesn't go far enough up. Everyone's got this high collar thing going on. Superman and Batman both have the same kind of armor. Now this armor could have a purpose to it. Uh, Man of Steel, uh, he's Man of Steel, he may not need armor, but it might have things like something to help him with his power, uh, you know, something to help him stay in space, communications equipment, any number of things. Uh, until they actually explain it, I'm not going to worry about it yet. I think it looks pretty cool if you ask me. Um, I'm looking forward to this new, to this whole new thing. We'll see how it works out. Uh, something else has happened while I was gone. This is taking a lot longer than I hoped, but I'm sorry. 
uh, some of the DC movie, or DC, some of the comic book movies that have come out. Uh, so far, uh, as I'm recording this, we've had Thor, X-Men First Class, and Green Lantern. And of those three, I've seen Thor and Green Lantern, and I thought they were great. Um, I saw Thor in 3D, which was cool. Um, I did not see Green Lantern in 3D, although I still thought it was cool. Um, I liked the stories on both. I, I was actually surprised to ever see movies starring those two characters. And to see them done so well. Uh, granted, there was a little bit of a slow spot in Green Lantern, but for the most part, I really liked them. I really liked that movie, and I really liked Thor. I've heard a lot of good stuff about X-Men First Class. Don't know if I'm going to have a chance to see it before it becomes available in Redbox or something, but uh, I do want to see that. Um, and coming up in a couple, uh, couple weeks is uh, Captain America. Uh, First Avenger. I'm really excited to see that one. Uh, I've seen nothing but good stuff in the trailers. I'm pretty excited about it. So I'm really looking forward to seeing that movie. Um, and then uh, podcast news. Um, I have discovered some really cool... Not only have I discovered some, but there's actually some new ones coming out that, um, that have started up since I've been gone. Uh, the Mighty Shield, the Captain America podcast has started up. Uh, with Michael Kaiser and John Wilson, and of course they're talking, and, and this is interesting, the first issue was just about uh, the first issue of Captain America comics back in the Golden Age, but since then they've been talking about the Silver Age and the Golden Age stuff, and once they do their little uh, Captain America gets a new number, reboot, relaunch kind of thing in a couple months to tie in with the movie, they're going to be covering the Modern Age uh, Captain America stories. So they're covering everything. It's a monthly podcast, so they have more time to do that. But I'm really looking forward to see to that show. I really like that show. Um, I've become I'm friends with and a fan of John Wilson. And of course, Michael Kaiser Scott also does a The Legends of Batman podcast with Michael Bradley. And so I'm really liking his shows too. So I'm, uh, make sure you check that one out, and links to these shows that I'm mentioning will be on the sidebar of my site, um, so you can check that out. Um, Michael, Bur Michael, yeah, there's too many Michaels around here. Michael Bailey and J. David Weeder have started a new show called Xavier's um, School for Gifted Youngsters, which is an X-Men podcast, basically starting with the X-Men from the beginning. As I record this, they have released three shows uh, covering uh, an intro on the first show, and then episodes two and three covered the first two issues of X-Men by the legendary team of Stanley and Jack Kirby. So that's, that's actually been a pretty good show. I've never followed X-Men from the beginning, and I, I can't think of two other guys that I'd rather listen to talk, talk to about it. Although I did, did find out that John Wilson's also joined that podcast in a couple episodes. So we'll have three guys talking about it. And I can't think of a better way, like I was just, I can't think of a better way to get into these older comics than by listening to guys talk about them. Especially guys that you know and are used to from other shows. So that's what I'm saying. Uh, another show called 20 Minute Long Box by Stephen Lacey from Jolly Old England. Um, Basically, he just randomly selects, uh, using a randomizer, he randomly selects a comic book to cover. It could be in the middle of a story, 
what have you. Uh, basically, it's a somewhat recent comic, but um, and then of course he just talks about it. He's been he's been a guest host on a couple of Spider-Man podcasts, uh, Amazing Spider-Man Classics, and Teenage Wasteland, a Ultimate Spider-Man podcast, as well as um, he's been on John Wilson's uh, Golden Age Superman because he's friend he's a good friend with John Wilson, so he's been on all his shows. Uh, so and he does a really good job with it. He's only gotten two episodes out so far, and he just released a, tr a promo, which will be included in this episode, probably in this first break coming up. Uh, there's a Daredevil podcast, Yellow to Red, a Daredevil podcast by Johnny Freiberg and Tyler Crone, and that's really it's it's actually pretty good. Uh, they're getting they're just getting started. Um, I know Tyler Crone has recently been added to the uh, Teenage Wasteland Ultimate Spider-Man podcast. I don't know if Johnny does any other shows, but they're definitely getting better as each episode progresses, kind of like I hope I have been. Uh, another one, Hey Kids Comics, started not long after I started my show. Uh, it's also from England, featuring the father-son team of Andrew and Michael Leyland. And they just talk about basically whichever they feel like talking about um but they do have theme shows for a while uh they did do several episodes talking about uh, the star the star war movie adaptations done by marvel back in the 80s and currently uh they are talk going through nightfall the classic batman story and uh, i'm going to be playing a promo for that too because i've really fallen in love with that show and i really think it's cool and it's also cool to get um same, with 20 minute long box and hate kids comics it's cool to get a view of comics um from a from a different country especially considering how americanized since they're mostly made in america just to see a different country's uh reaction to stuff such as action 900 so that was cool um also i have been listening to dj comics calvacate uh, that's actually been going on for quite a while, but um, it turns out I he uh, Thomas DJ hosts that show and covers various different comics. And on that show, he recently asked uh, people to come in with a quote from something that he's covered on the show, and he put it on the show. Well, I sent something in, so it looks like I'm going to be uh, on one of his shows coming up soon. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, I don't know if how if you've heard it. Uh, I know it's been played a couple times on. From crisis to crisis and it was just played on the most recent episode of hate kids comments but um i had been working for a while on putting together a promo for the superman podcast network uh you also would have heard that at the beginning of this episode um i want to thank officially because i haven't had a real good chance to do that yet i want to officially thank everyone for sending in a clip so that i could put that together uh it's just a quick little thing I put together. I wanted to get it done, especially because um, we had the Superman celebration a few weeks ago as I record this. And J. David Weeder had a way to uh, put a, create a barcode that you could uh, scan with your phone and that would send you to the link that would allow you to listen to the podcast uh, network promo. <clears throat> So he wanted he apparently handed that out to several people at the Superman celebration. Um, so that should help get us some listeners too. But um, I want to thank everyone for sending stuff in. Uh, it was actually kind of fun to do, and I hope to um, maybe we can do some more of those later on. 
lately, I've actually had a couple guest spot guest appearances on other shows, and it was really weird because some of them it feels like I'm doing the uh, talk show circuit before I start my show up again. But um, right before I went away for a little bit, uh, from Crisis to Crisis had an episode that I got to uh, be on to uh, help them start off from. Uh, not really start off, it was the part two, although it was the first and second strike of Panic in the Sky in the post-crisis Superman books. So that was cool. I want to thank Michael Bailey and Jeffrey Taylor for having me on for that. And uh, they recently just celebrated their 100th episode with by having guest stars Jerry Ordway and Dan Jurgens. So make sure you go check that out. I want to send a shout out to them for that job, guys. I've actually been listening to that uh, since episode one, so it was pretty cool. Um, I've also recently, by the time this episode comes out, it's probably going to be available for download, but I was recently on an episode of Thrilling Adventures of Superman, in which I talked about, uh, talked with Michael Bradley about Action Comics number 16, and Action Comics number 17, and Superman number 2, plus, uh, um, which is really cool, uh, uh, he was one, he was actually the only guest star I've had on this show so far, and it was nice to return the uh, return the favor and be on his show for once. And I kind of like talking about some of the Golden Age stuff. It's really cool. And um, I'm also working um, working with the guys on uh, Teenage Wasteland and Ultimate Spider-Man podcast. The whole reason I've been doing this show, well, not the whole reason, but the whole reason I got the nerve to do my own show is because I got everything together that I needed to be on their show. And then they had a whole bunch of delays. And now we're finally getting to the point where I'm recording the episodes I'm going to be on. Of course, there was a technical issue. But looks like I'm going to be on several episodes, so I'm looking forward to that. And um, so that's what's been going on all over the place. Uh, that brings us up to speed. So I'm going to take a quick break, play a couple promos for you. When we come back, we're going to get into May 1972. After these messages, we'll be right back. Kids, comics! Hey, Michael! Yes? We have to record a promo for our podcast. I've got one. Read our podcast. Read our podcast. You do know this is an audio medium. Watch our podcast. But you can watch podcasts, but not ours, because let's face it, we've got faces for radio. Uh, no, wait, I've got it. Give me a second, right? What? Just listen to our podcast. Listen to our podcast. Snap it. It's short, sweet. I'm liking it. It's good. It's great. Not exactly telling people what our podcast is about, though, is it? We read comics. We read comics. That's true. That's good. Liking it. Liking this pitch. Carry on. Right. We talk about comics. We do. We talk about comics. We read comics. And then we talk about them. Because we can't talk about them before we read them. Excellent. Keep going. And then we sing. Badly. Yes. Well, badly is purely subjective. But how many other comic book podcasts do you know where people sing? Hey, kids, comics. Every Thursday at aplayland.podomatic.com. This is the voice of the randomizer. Do you hear me, Earthman? You gave me your numbers and forced me to pick one. For that, you must face the consequences. Each week, I will make you review a random comic book. Do you hear me, Earthman? A random comic book. 
Yes, each week on the 20 Minute Long Box, I submit myself to the powers of randomness and review a title from my collection, completely at random and all within 20 minutes. It's the Super Compressed podcast for the decompressed, written for trade age. Join me, Steve Lacey, each week at 20minutelongbox.libsyn.com or find me on iTunes. Hey John, how's it going? Not bad, Mike. I just want to let you know I really enjoyed the latest episode of Legends of the Batman. You and Michael Bradley are doing great over there. Thanks, man. Now if I could just get this other podcast rolling for my favorite character. I don't suppose you'd want to hear about it. Me? Do another podcast? I already have shows about my two favorite characters with Amazing Spider-Man Classics and Golden Age Superman, and not to mention co-hosting Teenage Wasteland and Ultimate Spider-Man Podcast. There's no way I could do another weekly show. Hmm, well, who said it has to be weekly? Well, even even bi-weekly would still... What about monthly? Monthly? What were you thinking? Well, I already have a Golden Age show going, so I was thinking Silver Age with... Oh, 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 you know what would be cool? A Silver Age Marvel show talking about every Marvel comic book ever that would rock. Yeah, for like ten episodes, but then we'd have so many books going we'd never get anywhere. Yeah, that's probably true. So who were you thinking? When Captain America Captain America? Captain America. I I, I like Captain America. And there's the movie this year too, so it'd be perfect. So you're thinking like a monthly show on the Silver Age books? Yeah. Oh, but but what about the Golden Age? Could we could we work that in? Because we both love Golden Age comics, and I've I've never read a lot of that stuff. It could be fun. Sure, and that first issue of Captain America Comics is amazing. We could probably talk for hours about just that issue. <laughs> I also love the Brubaker stuff, and you know he is starting up a new series when the movie comes out. So Golden Age, Silver Age, and modern. Well, if it's monthly. I like it. Okay, cool. So when and where are we doing this? Let's meet once a month at themightyshield.com and on iTunes for The Mighty Shield, a Captain America podcast to cover every Captain America adventure from the Golden Age, the Silver Age, and today. Okay, May 1972, uh, we started off the month with World's Finest number 211, which had a... Uh, Neil Adams cover and came out on March 9th, 1972 with Batman apparently flying up, up, and away and Superman falling. It actually looks kind of cool. It's, it's one of his more simple ones. There's not a whole lot of background stuff and there's a lot of words in it, but uh, obviously, as you can tell, it's a Superman-Batman team-up. The title of this story is Fugitive from the Stars, written by Denny O'Neill with art by Dick Dillon and Joe Gaiella, edited by Julie Schwartz. Superman, of course, is created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, and Batman was created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. We begin with Superman in Earth orbit to investigate an alien ship entering Earth space. Earth's early warning system has picked up the ship and fired missiles to bring it down, but the missiles are being shot down before they can make contact. Superman tries to go on the offensive, but the ship's weaponry packs more of a wallop than he anticipated, and he ends up making a crash landing in Gotham City, which garners the attention of Batman. As Batman checks in on his friend, the alien ship lands. The aliens identify themselves as police officers from Crush Kerr and claim self-defense when asked about their attack. 
They explain that they are searching for a beautiful female criminal that escaped to Earth and is hiding in a prison. After printing off pictures of the criminal for the heroes, they tell Batman and Superman that they have two days to find her. The heroes fly off, intent on delivering a picture to the warden at every prison on Earth to see if they recognize her, while also keeping one for themselves for private time. Just kidding. Uh, thanks to Superman's speed, this task is completed in just a few short hours, so the heroes retreat to the Batcave. Um, shortly, they receive a call from a warden on the international frequency, stating that their criminal matches the description of Sarah Jongular, released just last month and living in Metropolis. So Superman and Batman take off from Metropolis and soon spot the alien's craft. Superman doesn't like the looks of things and drops off Batman to look for Sarah, while he flies back up and finds himself under attack by the aliens. Superman flies off, leading them up to the Arctic and away from innocent people. He dives into a glacier, but when he reemerges, he finds himself trapped in a gravity beam. The aliens then break into all communication signals and announce what they have just done. Meanwhile, back in Metropolis, Batman ends up smashing a counterfeiting ring before finding out that Sarah is not the girl the aliens are after. The aliens then interrupt programming again to, the, to reveal that they have placed a cobalt bomb in the gravity beam with Superman and will activate it if Batman doesn't find the girl. He quickly realizes there is still one prison on Earth that hasn't checked in and contacts Supergirl to fly him to the Fortress of Solitude. With her help, he shrinks down and enters Kandor and finds the girl hiding in that prison. She reveals that the people of Krushkar are lovers of war and conquest and that her only crime was speaking out against such things. Batman, realizing he can't just turn her over to these aliens, uses a remote device to leave the Bottle City. Shortly in the Batcave, Batman radios the aliens and goads them into battle. Soon, in a desert in the western United States, the aliens quickly demonstrate that they have superpowers, but when they attack with a cactus, it just breaks over Batman's head without harming him. He then knocks out one of the aliens as the other tries blasting him. Batman hides behind a boulder and then quietly tunnels up behind the alien, grabbing the blaster, then smashes it in his hand. He then threatens the alien and makes him promise that they will never return to Earth or its solar system ever again. He then follows the ship back out into space until it leaves Earth's sector, uh, probably 2814, uh, then before returning to the desert to meet up with Batman. What? See, it turns out that it was actually Superman in disguise. Back at that glacier, one he actually dove into was the same glacier he hit where he hid his deactivated Superman robots. And the Superman the aliens had actually captured was actually one of the robots that Superman had tossed up at the ship. And so they go about their separate ways saying, yay, everything's fine. The end. That was interesting. Uh, unlike his last appearance, this time Batman uh, looked more like the Carmen Infantino new look Batman, trying to be the Neil Adams Batman than actually the Neil Adams Batman, which um, Dylan and Gaiella had, had done a pretty good job of mimicking the last time. Um, he still had this old-school look while trying to look scary and moody. It just didn't work this time. Uh, when the aliens are introducing themselves, one of the heroes makes a mention of the aliens having superpowers, even though they hadn't demonstrated any powers at all. Which is weird, since they later demonstrated but anyway, and I want to know how Batman contacted Supergirl. Maybe a JLA communicator somehow tapped the fortress and went to her. I don't know. Somehow he contacted Supergirl. They don't tell you how, but that's left up to the reader's imagination. 
Otherwise, though, this is a really fun story. For one, uh, unlike some of the last few issues that I've covered, uh, the heroes actually teamed up. But they also had time for Superman to do super stuff and Batman to do his Batman things. Um, and other than Batman, the art here was actually pretty solid. Superman actually looked awesome most of the time, and the alien girl really did look pretty, you know, for a drawing. And um, the and that's pretty much it for World's Finest, uh, this issue. Uh, there was one other story in this issue uh, titled The Harlequin, uh, which was a Golden Age Green Lantern story, uh, reprinted from All-American Comics number 89 in September 1947. Uh, it was written by Rob Kaniger with art by Erwin Hasen. And the big thing about that story is obviously that it was the first appearance of the Harlequin, uh, who would very who would later on eventually form and marry Alan Scott, so who was the Golden Age Green So that was cool. And I did fail to mention that that uh, Fugitive from the Stars was reprinted in Best of DC number 20 from January 1982. After these messages, we'll be right back. Boys and girls, your attention, please. Presenting a new exciting radio program featuring the thrilling adventures of an amazing and incredible personality. Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings with a single bound. This amazing stranger from the planet Krypton. The man of steel. Superman. The thrilling adventures of Superman. A journey through the golden age of the Man of Steel in comics, radio, and film. Available at GreatCrypton.com You are cordially invited to attend a podcast that observes the unfolding events of history. Come with me and observe the birth and growth of a legend. From the pages of a 10-cent pulp comic book to the newspapers, radio program adventures, theatrical films, and more. Witness the dawn of the superhero. Superman. Available on iTunes and at goldenagesuperman.lipson.com Every legend has a beginning. Presenting Superman. Superman 251 was released on March 16, 1972 with a really cool Neil Adams cover. The title of the story is The Island That Invaded the Earth written by Lynn Wein with art by Kurt Swan and Murphy Anderson. And this story does get reprinted in Best of DC number 56 from January of 85. Somewhere out in the Pacific Ocean, a small research vessel from Star Labs is waiting for the appearance of an island. Apparently, over the last three months, three volcanic islands have mysteriously risen up, and the computers at Star have calculated a 94% chance that more will sprout up. At just about this time, 
A new island just happens to pop right up in front of them. An island surrounded by large statues with a large, mysterious structure in the center. As the scientists disembark and head up to the structure, we see the head of one of the statues turn to follow them. Meanwhile, in Metropolis, Superman returns from a weekend-long space patrol to see that the city is in the midst of a violent electrical storm that has actually damaged the WGBS lightning rod. This wouldn't normally be a huge deal, except that he then spots a large lightning bolt heading straight for the building. So racing at blinding speed, Superman manages to get in front of the bolt with just a millisecond to spare, allowing it to harmlessly hit him in the S. Realizing that he can't chance possibly missing another lightning bolt, he flies up and breaks up the storm clouds at super speed, bringing an end to the storm. Unfortunately, in an ironic twist that would make Peter Parker chuckle, this little feat means that Clark is now late for work. Slipping into a file room, he quickly switches to Clark and exits just as Morgan Edge happens to be passing by. After berating Clark for being late, he brings Ken up to speed on what's been going on since the previous Friday. Basically, some unknown element has caused the weather all over the world to go haywire, including snow in the Sahara and a heat wave in Iceland. He then assigns the story to Clark, so Clark visits with Charlie, which, even though his name's spelled wrong, and this Charlie is old and balding, it is cool with Superman being chummy with someone named Charlie. Just to me, anyway. Uh, to see if anything interesting has come in over the teletype. Checking, out him, checking it out himself, Clark sees that a star research ship was found in the Pacific with all three crew members in a state of shock. Also, apparently the Arctic ice cap is melting. So, rushing back to the file room, Clark changes back to Superman and heads north, Mishteshmacher, north, just in time to see an oil tanker about to be crushed by a part of a glacier that is falling apart. Almost effortlessly, Superman catches the chunk of ice so it doesn't hit the tanker, then deposits the tanker into more southern shipping lanes before returning and using super breath to cool off the glacier at least temporarily. Then, since he's in the neighborhood, he decides to head over to the fortress to see if the computers there can be of any help. Turns out they are, and Superman then takes off for the site of a super powerful energy discharge in the middle of the Pacific. This turns out to be the island from the beginning of the story. But as Superman flies down with the intent of taking out the structure at the center of the island, but as Superman flies down with the intent of taking out the structure at the center, he discovers that it is surrounded by a powerful force field. So, using one of the Flash's tricks of using ultra vibrations, he is soon able to get through the force field, but discovers that the air pressure inside the field is like being at the bottom of the ocean. At this point, he finds himself grabbed by those very statues who we saw earlier, who try to gas him but it is, of course, not effective on Superman's physical structure. Then, it's on, like Donkey Kong, with Superman having some trouble due to not being accustomed to fighting in this pressurized environment. Uh, eventually, though, he discovers that the statues are actually robots, not living creatures, and suddenly has no problem taking them all out. Uh, doing so also removes the force field, which allows Superman to actually feel the energy waves being put off by the structure. Superman recognizes it as a strange vibratory language of a distant alien civilization, and that Superman has made an actual mistake. Inside, Superman finds an egg and seed combination, being bathed in some electronic energy. He then figures out that the vibration messages were supposed to be peaceful, but that something in Earth's atmosphere distorted them and caused all the weird weather problems. Also, this island was not supposed to be on the surface, but was actually sent there 
by all the recent volcanic activity that Starr was investigating. The robot statues were like nursemaids and used the force field to recreate conditions like at the bottom of the ocean and used the force field to contain it. They weren't trying to attack Superman, but to save him because he was perceived as a human and humans cannot survive in those conditions. At this point, Superman realizes that he needs to get the force field back up before the heavy pressure destroys the island. So he cannibalizes parts of the robots at super speed until the force field is restored. Shortly, the whole island quakes and the structure collapses and a strange glowing creature rockets off into space, leaving Superman to fly off, wondering what it was he just saved. Well, the only really negative I have about this story is that Superman never really fixes the WGBS lightning rod. I mean, he could have. Uh, also, after breaking up the storm just a page earlier, Clark and Morgan Edge are looking out the window to see that the sky is stormy again. Either that's a continuity glitch, or it was done on purpose to show that weather is so bad that the storm just reformed over Metropolis. I'm not sure. On the plus side, though, I thought this was a really cool story with some really cool art. Um, this was a fun sit down and relax and enjoy some Superman. Um, I like the panel of Superman going through the interplanetary zoo to get to the main computer when he goes to his fortress. It probably wasn't really necessary, but it was very much appreciated. It was pretty cool to see. The second story of this issue is The Case of the Living Trophies, reprinted from Superman number 45, which had a March-April 1947 cover date. Uh, it was written by Jerry Siegel, with art by John Sykela and George Rousseau's. Everyone knows that baby Kal-El was sent from Krypton to Earth by his parents, Jor-El and Lara, shortly before the planet was torn apart by violent internal pressures. But what else do we really know about Krypton and its history? Journey with us now as we explore the Fabulous World of Krypton. Alright, and the final story for this issue is The Day Krypton Didn't Die, uh, written by Elliot S. Magan with art by Rich Buckler. 81 Earth years ago, the Judicator Doug Les, honorable member of the highest court on Krypton, delivers his judgment on whether or not Krypton should institute death penalty by telling a well-known story from Krypton's past. So we go back to a flashback. Sorry. It begins long ago, when Krypton was invaded by a spacecraft of beings who, oddly enough, bear a striking resemblance to Stratos from the He-Man cartoon. These aliens are far superior to Kryptonians in both science and weaponry. Looking for guidance, the Kryptonians look to the leader of their tribe, Sakar, for guidance. He reveals that he has been listening to the planet for guidance himself and has been provided with an answer. That night, pretending to offer them a peace offering, his son Abkar 
gave a plant to one of the alien invaders, who took the plant to his leader. Inside the ship, the radioactive environment caused the plant to grow and mutate, which caused the aliens to panic and flee from the planet, but not before leaving behind one of their own for accepting the plant in the first place. Amidst shouts to kill the alien, Sakkar tells them that just as Krypton revealed how to rid the planet of the invaders, it is also revealed to him that if any harm comes to this alien, a terrible fate would befall them all. So Sakkar then has his son Abkar hide the alien in the cave of Pyotar, which is obviously meant to be read and not said. But they are followed by a few of the others who are still intent on killing the alien. While fleeing, one of the feathers from the alien's arm gets caught on a tree and is ripped out. Slowly, it floats down into a canyon, and once it makes contact with the Kryptonian soil, there is a gigantic explosion. At this point, they realize that if any part of the alien is quote-unquote destroyed violently, yeah, destroyed violently before it dies naturally and comes in contact with Krypton's solid mass, it blows up. End quote. Returning to Sakkar, he tells everyone that the alien is not a danger to them and that they would do well to learn from him. Returning to the more present past, Judicator Douglas states that if not for Sakkar's mercy, Krypton would have been destroyed. Therefore, in that same spirit, he rules that Krypton shall never impose the death penalty for a crime, no matter how horrible. Meanwhile, ironically, Within the planet's core, a tremor grew, a tragic tension that is for another story. Um, now, I am a fan of Rick Buckler's art later on, especially when he's on when he starts up Tales of the JSA and uh, some of the cover work he does on action comics and stuff later on in the 80s. But here, I'm not a huge fan of his work. Um, but uh, for some reason... And maybe he's actually getting started, but I thought he did some Marvel stuff in the 60s too. But here, some of the proportions are off. Um, granted, I think maybe some of them are actually supposed to be drawn that way, but the proportions on are off on many characters, and the faces just really look messed up in some cases. And especially since Kryptonians are supposed to look like Earth humans, it just looks a little weird. Um, also, I'm not too sure how an alien's feather can cause such a gigantic explosion, but this is science fiction, so I'm going to look past that. Uh, on the plus side, though, I do like how this story seems to subtly set up the origins of Krypton's scientific achievements without specifically pointing it out in the caption. Uh, and again, I might be reading too much into it. Also, considering that this story is only eight pages long, I thought it was paced rather well to the point where it never really felt that things were rushed, which is really hard to do in an eight-page story even back in 1972. So, uh, okay, so a couple more promos, and we'll be back with our final issue of the month. We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. My name is Michael Bailey, and I'm Jeffrey Taylor. And we host a podcast called From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. Presented by the Superman homepage. On the show... Wait, wait, wait. What? This just isn't working out for me. It's not bombastic enough. We need something epic. 
Like what? Welcome to From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, presented by the Superman homepage. I am Jeffrey Taylor. And I am Michael Bailey. From Crisis to Crisis chronicles the adventures of Superman. Wait, 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 wait. I'm just not feeling this. I'm just wondering how there's a needle scratching sound when all of this is clearly digital. Look, all we need to say is that this is the, a trailer for a show called From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast presented by the home, Superman homepage. My name is Michael Bailey. I am Jeffrey Taylor. And every week we give in-depth synopsis and reviews for just about every Superman book published between Man of Steel number 1 in 1986 and Adventures of Superman number 649 in 2006. We also talk about the related Superman media, what was happening in the rest of the world when these comics were published and what else was going on in the DC Universe. The show drops every Thursday-ish at the Superman homepage, which is located at www.supermanhomepage.com. From Crisis to Crisis is also a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, located at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. So join Jeffrey and I each week as we explore Superman during the post-crisis era, which includes Exile, Panic in the Sky, Doomsday, The Marriage, and Beyond. And write into the show at FromCrisisToCrisis at gmail.com and hear it read on the air. Eventually. Because we get behind on that sort of thing. Superman created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Side effects from From Crisis to Crisis include loss of money from buying back issues, a desire to read 20-year-old comic books, nausea, drowsiness, pizza, blurred vision, upset stomach, a desire to kick puppies and kittens, and backache from lifting boxes of Superman comics. If the excitement of From Crisis to Crisis lasts more than four hours, seek immediate medical attention. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. Supermanhomepage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. Supermanhomepage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the man. Man of Steel and more. SupermanHomePage.com. Superman is a copyrighted feature appearing in Action Comics magazine. And lastly, we have Action Comics number 412. It was released on March 30th, 1972, with a, another cool cover by Nick Carty. So the main story of this book is The Secret of the First Metropolis, written by Carrie Bates, with art by Kurt Swan and Murphy Anderson and edited by Murray Boltonoff. In an isolated bit of subway tunnel, we witness a small cave-in in which one of the rocks is the size and shape of a man. This man, or this rock, lands on the third rail, and the electricity causes this creature to stir and step into the path of an oncoming train. Fortunately, Clark Kent is on the train, and the sudden stoppage alerts Clark to scan ahead with his X-ray vision. Seeing the strange sight ahead, Clark sneaks out of his car, quickly changes to Superman, and flies ahead, grabbing the creature and taking it to the Metropolis Research Institute. Because in Action Comics, we don't know about Star Labs. Once there, Professor Jessica Sloan 
verifies that it appears to be a human from the Mesozoic period, kept in a state of suspended animation for over 60 million years inside of a shell made of an unknown mineral crust. This leaves Superman and the professor, this leaves Superman and the professor perplexed because that far predates the then current belief of when man of when prehistoric man first set foot on earth. So Superman realizes that the only way they'll get any answers is to talk to the man inside the shell. Realizing that the shell will sift to dust with enough strain, Superman spins the resolving the revolving cot with enough force that the shell slowly dissolves away to reveal a strangely garbed man inside. After bringing the mysterious man up to speed, the trio head outside where the stranger remarks that the buildings are crude and grotesque. Superman decides to go investigate under Metropolis, while Professor Sloan runs some more tests on the quote-unquote old man. He tells the professor that his name is Josden, and reveals that it was his father who put him inside that shell, but that he had never mentioned why. Superman soon returns with some relics from the city beneath Metropolis, but says that he couldn't find any human remains, and it appears the city was destroyed rather than just getting worn down or crumbling. Jonathan explains that he and his people had come to Earth from, to escape the tyranny of their ruler, and he, now he wants to know what became of his people. After a bit more discussion, Superman decides to take both Jonathan and Professor Sloan back in time to solve this mystery. Back in the past, Superman drops the pair off at Jostin's father's house and flies off to do some investigation. Inside, Sloan and Jostin see Han Solo and Carbonite, I mean Jostin in the mineral shell. Jostin then takes time to explain that the shell became empty the moment Superman brought him back to the past to explain the time paradox thing. Confusing. Uh, while Superman finds himself under attack by some unfamiliar dinosaur men, Jostin explains that the only food on Earth that can sustain his people are dinosaur eggs, which are sent through a purifier beam to remove any harmful germs. Jostin Fathers comes out, sees the pair, and is furious at Jostin for leaving his shell, meaning he won't be able to escape the plague. He then runs off, saying that he feels something beginning. At that point, Jostin and Sloan come under attack by the same dinosaur men that have been attacking Superman, and retreat into the house as the dinosaur men begin to tear the city apart. Meanwhile, Superman can only watch the destruction since he can't change history. But he heads back to Jostin's because he can save Sloan. At the house, Sloan is taking a closer look at a dinosaur egg and realizes that the purifier beam actually deposits a strange radiation into the yolk, meaning that eating the egg could cause a strange mutation. At that point, Jostin appears as, he, as he's transforming into one of those dinosaur men. He's about to attack Sloan as Superman bursts in, knocks him back before grabbing Sloan and flying her back to the future. And that's pretty much the end. Um, one of the negatives I have on this story is that in all the time Superman has burrowed under Metropolis, he's never noticed the ruins of a city before. That's one of those things that's like, you know, I don't know. It's just one of those weird things. It's hard to do those when you have a character that's been around for almost 40 years at this point. Basically, what we are what we find out is that in our time, well, 1972 present, Josden would have either died of starvation because he wouldn't have been able to find any food, or he would have turned into a dinosaur man. So either way, things were not looking good for Josden. Uh, also, a rotating cot. I don't think I've ever seen one of those. Um, and I would think that spinning it at super speed would have 
cause damage to either the cot or the wall it's hooked to, but I'm not sure. Um, on the plus side, though, this was actually a pretty fun story, other than, you know, what I pointed out a little earlier. Uh, it had some great art. Uh, again, Swan and Anderson are really gelling well at this point. And there's a plausible explanation for pretty much all of the mysteries that were set up in the story. We know the city was destroyed by these dinosaur monsters, which is why it didn't get worn down. Uh, there's no human bones because, or human remains because they all turned into the dinosaur man. And we know he was sent, put, uh, that Jostin was put in the shell to prevent him from falling under that mutation. So now we know why he was in the future. So it's pretty cool. Um, second story in this issue uh, was The Menace of the Sky Scorchers, written by Carrie Bates with art by John Calman and Murphy Anderson, and edited by Murray Boltonoff. One afternoon, Superman streaks out over the Atlantic Ocean to catch a falling meteorite, only to find that it is actually a satellite that has fallen from orbit and that has somehow been electrified. After scrapping the satellite, Superman flies over Metropolis Harbor and spots a fire on a tanker. Uh, using a combination of super speed and a fire extinguisher, he puts out the fire and discovers that this fire was caused by another fallen satellite. Uh, because of the fact that the odds of this happening are astronomical, Superman then heads out to space to investigate, only to bump into another satellite. After vaporizing it with a blast of heat vision, he spots a beam knocking another satellite out of orbit. So he kicks that satellite into orbit around the sun, then follows the beam back to a NASA tracking station, only to see a little girl named Tracy in control of the beam. She explains that she was only trying to bring back Hermie. Then her father makes an appearance, chides Tracy for going anywhere near the Magno Beamer, and explains to Superman that he's an astrophysicist and was using the magnobeam in experiments with magnetic propulsion. He also learned that Hermie was Tracy's pet monkey who became sick with some kind of fatal tropical illness, so he somehow quarantined Hermie to space and also used the opportunity to test for possible ill effects his magnobeam might have on future astronauts. However, just that morning, all of Hermie's readings came back zero, indicating that he had died. But Tracy refuses to believe this, so she was using the Magno Beam to bring him back. But her aim was off, and she kept hitting the wrong satellites. So Superman agrees to check on Hermie himself, so he flies up to space and uses his X-ray vision to see that Hermie not only is still alive, but that the cosmic rays had turned him into a monkey torch. Just kidding. The cosmic rays had actually cured him of his disease. So Superman takes Hermie back to the tracking station, and explains that it was a short circuit that caused the live monitors to give the negative readings. Dr. Stewart realizes that he still has a long way to go to make his dream of magnetic propulsion a reality. Now, fortunately, it appears that Tracy didn't bring down any satellites that were still in use, as that could have caused all kinds of trouble, especially since Superman kicked one away and, you know, destroyed the other one with his heat vision. Um, I'm not sure, uh, going back a few pages, if Superman would be able to use the fire extinguisher at super speed. I'm no expert at this kind of stuff, but the contents of the extinguisher would only be moving at normal speed, no matter how fast Superman was going. So Superman moving at super speed really hasn't going around, but the stuff hasn't fallen yet. Uh, perhaps 
moving a little quicker so he can draw the oxygen away from the fire or possibly just using super breath to blow it out or heck even using some of the water surrounding the boat um, to put out the fire would have been a little quicker but that's just me uh, at the end of the story dr stewart tells tracy to thank superman for catching the satellites but he didn't catch any he was too late to stop the first two destroyed the third one and kicked the fourth one into orbit around the sun so Tracy doesn't really need to save us. Thanks, Superman, for doing any of that. Just saving the monkey. On the other side, uh, on the other hand, uh, some positives. Uh, well, I do think that Anderson's inks still hide Calman's pencils. It is nice to see some diversity in the panel layout and the figure work, because neither Swan or Anderson would have chosen to draw Superman in some of the poses that Calman uses here, and gives a little bit of a nice change of pace. Uh, also, I'm pretty glad Hermes alive. You just never want to see a dead monkey. The last story in this issue is Duel of the Divided Man, uh, which is an Eclipso story from House of Secrets number 62, which was released, well, which had a cover date of September, October 1963. It was written by Bob Haney. And art was by Lee Elias. After these messages, we'll be right back. How do you kill a man without fear? Go! Hi everyone, I'm Johnny Freiburn. And I'm Tyler Crowe. And we are From Yellow to Red, a Daredevil podcast. And we are here to bring you a comprehensive view of Marvel's Man Without Fear. Without that pansy, Black Panther. As we cover every issue of Daredevil from the beginning. Starting with the 1960 series with... Tyler, why are you talking like that? Because we're dark and gritty podcasts. But Daredevil was actually a pretty lighthearted book in the beginning. Well, I, I, I mean, it was? Yeah, so join along for all the fun and adventures of Silver Age Daredevil. With irony and Karen Page galore. At From Yellow to Red, a Daredevil podcast. July, 1963. The Marvel Age of Comics was dawning. First came the rise of the Fantastic Four. Then came the Incredible Hulk followed by the amazing Spider-Man and the mighty Thor. But, the Marvel Age was about to give way to the Age of the Atom, and nothing would be the same. Was the world ready for the strangest superheroes of all? The X-Men? On June 3rd, you can go to the movie theater and see the evolution of the X-Men, or... You can listen to Xavier's podcast for Gifted Youngsters, an X-Men podcast, and see how it really began. It's the Merry Marvel Mutants, Cyclops, Marvel Girl, The Angel, The Beast, Iceman, and their mentor, Professor Xavier, from the beginning, issue by issue. Every two weeks, join J. David Weider and Michael Bailey as they follow the X-Men saga from the creation to the first class and beyond. Gasp at the tyranny of Magneto, stand in the awe of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, Marvel at the Mystery of the Vanisher, and Cower at the Sight of the Submariner. All for the first time, panel by panel. On June 3rd, prepare for the Children of the Atom at xavierspodcast.blogspot.com. 
Sawate. My name is Stella, and I am the host of Bad Girl to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. Bad Girl to Oracle is a podcast and site dedicated to Barbara Gordon, the first woman to hold the Bad Girl mantle for an extended period of time, roughly 1967 to 1985. The goal of BTO is to examine the character's history from her first appearance as Batgirl and continue on through her current tenure as Oracle. Each episode looks at vintage issues of Detective Comics and Batman and modern issues of Batgirl and Birds of Prey. I also keep track of news involving Batgirl and other members of the Bat family, and I examine Barbara Gordon's appearances in the media, such as TV, film, etc. I've been blessed to be able to interview writer Brian Q. Miller, and I hope to interview more creators and actors in the future. My goal, most importantly, is to make a fun, entertaining, and thoughtful show that people enjoy and from which they learn. Please visit us online at batgirltooracle.net and look for us on iTunes. Thank you. December 7th. Earth 2. 1941. A world very much like our own, yet slightly different. A date which will live in infamy. A world at war. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Following the Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt brought together the largest group of mystery men ever assembled to battle the Axis powers. Tales of the Justice Society of America presents The All-Star Squadron. The Tales of the Justice Society of America, every Friday at twotruefreaks.libson.com. All right. We have got um, the rest of the comics that came out in May 1972, starting with Ghosts number five, which has a cool Nick Cardi cover. Looks pretty scary. Uh, there's Our Army at War featuring Sergeant Rock, number 245. Uh, Superman 185 is a 100-page super spectacular featuring free, featuring um, reprints, not only of uh, featuring two Superboy stories and then some other stories featuring the Star Spangled Kid, the Teen Titans, Kid Eternity, the Legion of Superheroes, and Little Boy Blue. It even has his origin in there. We have Wonder Woman number 200 featuring the beauty hater. And so that's pretty cool. And we see Diana tied up to thing. We have Falling in Love number 132. You can't miss if you know the five types of men. 
That's right. Uh, Justice League of America number 98 featuring Sargon the Sorcerer. Uh, we have our fighting forces number 137 featuring, of course, the losers. We have Flash number 215 uh, featuring a story with both the Flash of Earth 1 and the Flash of Earth 2 teaming up. Phantom Stranger number 19. We have Tomahawk number 140. Uh, Batman number 241, which has a really cool Neil Adams cover inked by Bernie Wrightson. We have Korak, Son of Tarzan, number 46. We've got Young Romance, number 182, with a girl that looks like she... Um, yeah, it basically looks like she's having an orgasm. I'm just going to come out and say it. The guy, apparently they're on a beach. This girl looks like she's really enjoying whatever he's doing to her. Um, and there's also a How to Win Your Man contest. You know, so good. Uh, there's Forbidden Tales of the Dark Mansion, number five. Mr. Miracle, number eight. Featuring some more Jack Kirby work. Let's see, we have Teen Titans, number 39. Uh, House of Mystery, number 202. We have... Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, number 149, which is the first issue after uh, Jack Kirby left that book. More on that in just a little bit. There is Young Love, number 95, with the special How to Get Boys to Date You. Uh, there's Girls Love Stories, number 169, which lets you test yourself to see if you are his type. Strange Adventures, number 236. Wonder Woman, yeah, Wonder Woman, wow. Superman's Girlfriend, Lois Lane, number 122, which again features Lois wearing some skimpy outfit and tied up. But at least she's wearing a tie, so I guess it's okay. Uh, we have Weird War Tales, number 5. Heartthrobs, number 141, which has your love horoscope for the month. We have Superboy, number 186, Mutanty, Mutiny of the Damned. And they're allowed to use kryptonite in that book because it's Superboy. Uh, we have Unexpected, number 135. We have Adventure Comics, number 419, with Supergirl catching an invisible thief, who apparently loves Supergirl. We have Detective Comics, number 423, with a really, really cool-looking Michael Kaluta cover. And wow, the perspective on this thing's cool. The way Batman's cape has fluttered is really cool. And it sets up a mystery because you're wondering why Batman's using a gun. And finally, we have Tarzan, number 208. Uh, looks like a monkey dies, unfortunately. Yes, it wasn't Hermie. So that's it for this month. Um, next month, I'm going to do something a little different. Or next month. Next episode, I'm going to do something a little different. Uh, if you recall, a few episodes ago, uh, I made mention of the fact that the... The fact that Morgan Edge has been kind of mean lately was actually a pretty big story that, that was featured over several issues of several books. It was an ongoing subplot. Well, uh, we're coming somewhat close to where that's going to end. So I've decided I'm going to go back a little bit in the time machine and cover some of the previous appearances and kind of the origins of uh, this evil Morgan Edge. Uh, so that when we finish it, we'll be all caught up. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to spend the next few episodes 
actually uh, because of that's just where he first showed up and because it's a continuing story and I don't like to leave things half finished um, we're going back to the start of Jack Kirby's run on Jimmy Olsen and we're going to be going through that there will be some crossing overs with low with the Lois Lane book I believe there's probably two issues we're going to be covering it, you know, of that somewhere down the line uh, I'm not going to cover just random appearances because as we've seen in several of the issues of even Superman in action, um, you can't really tell that this is not the real Morgan Edge because of the fact that, you know, you don't know that there's a clone. But uh, as we saw in at the end of the Denny O'Neill story, uh, there is a, another Morgan Edge somewhere. So we're going to cover this story from the beginning with Jimmy Olsen numbers 133 and 134. So, come back next week, and we'll get to that, and here is my lovely wife. Thank you for listening to Superman in the Bronze Age, hosted by Charlie Niemeyer. Superman in the Bronze Age is a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network at www.fortressofbailey2.com slash supermanpodcastnetwork, where new episodes are posted weekly. Episodes are also posted at supermaninthebronzeage.blogspot.com, and supermanhomepage.com. You can also subscribe to this show via RSS feed and iTunes. All images, characters, and music used in the show are for entertainment purposes only. No money is made by the show. Superman is created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Thank you for listening, and God bless. Superman is also a copyrighted feature, appearing in the Superman DC publications.